Section 10 of The King of Alsander by James Elroy Flecker This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For further information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Chapter 10 Contains the President's Tale and a Debate on the Advantages of Murder There was a fine contrast between the two boys as they stood confronting each other. They were both young, handsome, beardless. But Norman was square, strong-jawed, with a hint of the workman about him, his hair almost silver, his blue eyes and fair complexion as British as could be. There was little more to suggest anything more interesting than the handsome athlete about him, save a fine curious expression of the mouth, a bold forehead, and perhaps an exceptional regularity and symmetry of the features. Arnolfo was in complete contrast. His whole body, though not well set off by the gorgeous but loose costume, seemed curiously slim and supple. His smooth dark face had the spiritual beauty of the artist. No lack of determination in it, however, but the power was in the eyes rather than the chin which was as softly rounded as a woman's. Of these eyes we can say but little. They were large, dark eyes. But no poet can sing or painters paint the charms of the soul's windows. Even more beautiful was the mouth, on which hovered a smile. But though, in the eyes of Arnolfo, there shone a humorous sympathy, though his smile faded with obvious disappointment when Norman drew back his hand, Norman, in his fury, saw nothing but an insolent boy who had outraged him bitterly. Scorning with a flash of chivalry to use his fist on so frail a person, he nevertheless could not help administering to Arnolfo there and then a ringing smack on the cheek. How dare you, sir, commit an outrage on one of my friends in my presence? The consul's voice rang out, severe and incisive. One of your friends? cried Norman, almost hysterical with wrath. What business has a British consul with friends who outrage British subjects? I'd give you one too, he added savagely. If it wasn't for your... It is most impolite of you, sir, said the consul, interrupting him and leaning across his desk. To make any reference to the unfortunate state of my arm, due as it is, and as I have already hinted, to excessive zeal in the public service. Also, I may inform you that you are quite welcome to go for me if you like. Your behaviour is uniformly gross. As for my infirmity, take that. And he dealt Norman across his desk a blow with the supposed withered arm, which sent him reeling against the wall. Norman was about to reply to this onslaught in kind, when Arnolfo interposed himself between them, his cheek still red from the blow. Remember he said to the consul. He cannot understand, and he has had a great deal to endure. I would think less of him if he had not hit me. Sir, I accept your blow. Will you cry quits with me and be friends? You accept my blow indeed, you coward. I have given you a very good clout on the head. Why don't you challenge me to a duel like a man? Surely that is the custom everywhere outside England. I will make you any reparation you like, but I will not fight you. Strange as it may seem, I hope that some day you may become my friend. 
friend indeed you seem to credit me with outrageous generosity if you are too frightened to fight you must at least let me in my turn order you a sound thrashing then i can meet you on equal terms believe me senor norman i would do that for your friendship said arnolfo and turning to the consul he added will you not leave me with this englishman a minute i entreat you senor arnolfo you should not trust yourself to such a man he is rude unmannerly and dangerous and not at all likely to appreciate the refinement of your sentiments i entreat you do what i ask said the young man and as the consul still seemed reluctant he added in a whisper i command you upon this the consul bowing to arnolfo left them alone now signor norman began arnolfo try and put aside for a moment your righteous and natural indignation i have come on purpose to see you i hastened here as soon as i was informed of your arrival i want you to forgive me i want you to be my friend but most of all i want you to believe me to be sincere how are you going to prove your sincerity to me this time inquired norman by more subtle torture than beating or by downright murder you and your friends have inflicted on me the most shameful degradation and now you implore forgiveness and talk of sincerity are you is this city is the whole world mad why should you want to talk to me about sincerity would it not be more to the point to discuss the figure of my damages never be ashamed of your vulgarity mr price said the young man without a trace of sarcasm in his gentle voice it gives you just that vitality which i have not got it is exactly the absence of vulgarity from my character that makes me unfit to rule this kingdom alone you seem to have no mean opinion of yourself i know you only as a shopkeeper and as a conspirator i agree with you that you are unfit to rule even this kingdom take at least the trouble to inform me who you are will you let me tell my story i have no interest in your story but on condition that you have no further designs against me i will listen to your narrative provided it is short sir exclaimed arnolfo with a flash of passionate anger in his beautiful dark eyes the genuineness of which not even norman could doubt but always speaking in the same gentle tone i have had enough of your british and barbarous silkiness i am the proudest man in alsander and i have let you strike me in the face but i will not let you insult me further sit in that chair and listen to what i have to tell you remember now as then here as in the secret room of the conspirators you are utterly in my power norman curiously stilled by these words sank into the great armchair in silence the black walls the tortured pictures the incense fragrance of the strange room had the consul journeyed to china also hypnotized his will he felt tired and careless he took almost a pleasure in obeying the elegant and frail young man whose voice was as low as the music of distant waves i began arnolfo am a nobleman of alsander to which i returned about a year ago after an absence of many years in many civilized lands especially in omrai my father is virtual ruler of the court of the orphan princess iantha who presuming that the present occupant of the throne dies incurably insane and childless should one day be queen of alsander my father the duke arnolfo as any peasant boy will tell you is the guardian of the princess 
it was his plan that the princess should be educated in Omrike, among a sober and wise people, where every facility would be obtainable to cultivate her mind, and refine her intelligence. I will confess to you that it was his dream to seat a noble and wise woman on the throne of Alsander, even, if necessary, before the death, or at all events before the natural death, of King Andrea. Well, he knows the miserable state of this little kingdom under the idle, foolish, and cunning rule of old Count Vorza, and many a time he has only been restrained from riding into Alsander at the head of a handful of retainers and wresting the regency from Vorza, by the thought of his young charge, whose majority he, an unfortunate exile, has devoutly awaited. But, alas, nothing is likely to come of all his dreams. You may have heard flimsy rumours here, to the effect that Princess Iantha is as mad as her cousin. It is not quite true that she is mad. She is stubborn and unreasonable, and she is almost stupid. She grasps nothing, despite the most careful education that a woman could possibly receive. She has fits of piety and fits of melancholy. If that were all, married to a good husband, she might do passably well, but she has one supreme defect which makes her impossible as a queen. She is so ugly that it would be hard to find a man who would not be ashamed to be even so much as styled her husband, though the bribe were a crown. Carefully guarded as our little court is, some rumours of the truth have come to Alsander, and at present Borza seems, to the popular estimation, to be likely to go on ruling for ever. After all, the people are not unhappy. It is so many years since they have enjoyed the advantages of uncorrupt and energetic government, they do not know that they are missing anything. But my father and I love Alsander with a burning passion. We dreamt of Florence, of Athens, of Venice, of the great deeds that have been performed by little states. And night after night we used to discuss what could be done with Alsander. We considered a republic, but a republic, even a small one, needs a dictator to tide over its growing pains, and also a standard of education, which Alsandrians by no means possess. As for me, I know myself to be incapable of governing Alsander alone, even had it been possible for me to acquire the supreme power by my father's influence. Norman, who had begun to listen with interest to the young man, and who had thought that he was getting to the truth at last, noted in his mind the weakness of the last remark, coming from so self-confident a young man. However, he did not interrupt, and Arnolfo went on. It was decided finally that I should journey alone to Alsander, spy out the land, and attempt to form a conspiracy. It was a project not without danger for myself. Vorza knows that the court of Princess Iantha is against him. My father warned me almost with tears against his treachery, and I could hardly persuade him to let me go. But once arrived in Alsander, I put on so brave an outward show, played with such gaiety the part of an elegant young man bent on nothing but pleasure, that the suspicions of that crafty old fox were lulled with comparative ease. Cunning men seldom penetrate the cunning of others, especially the cunning of such others as have naturally no cunning in their nature, but are only playing a cunning part. In the meanwhile I made firm and loyal friends of all the really able or notable men in Alsander, to whom I carried letters of recommendation from my father. I found them surprisingly ready and willing to plot with me some change of government. But what change? I had deliberated long and in vain with several excellent people, when one day I was taken aside by Doctors Forelli, the king's physician, the very doctor to whose searching examinations you so strongly objected the other day. He told me that there was a plot in the plot, which he now would reveal. Your father, he said, has partly deceived you. We are not groping in the dark. We have a plan already formed a plan fantastic and wild, but still a plan. And we have cherished that plan for years. 
It was necessary that we should be assured of your discretion and ability before inaugurating our conspiracy, yet we postponed our action in order to await your intelligent cooperation, and above all, in order to fulfill your father's dearest wish, which was that you should in person preside over the work of the regeneration of Alsander. Our plot is based on a very startling and curious fact, which is this, that practically from, and including, the day of his coronation, not a soul in Alsander, not even Vorza, who is afraid of lunatics, has set eyes on King Andrea. I expressed my astonishment. This extraordinary state of affairs, though based originally on pure chance, is by no means accidental, explained Sforelli, continuing. It was all arranged between your father and myself, years ago. It had actually been necessary to seclude the king for a time, and your father, seized by a sudden and wonderful inspiration, gave me the word to convert the temporary seclusion into a permanent one. "'That is an extraordinary state of affairs,' I remarked, "'but I do not see how it will help in the regeneration of Alsander.' "'Think,' said the doctor, with his queer Jewish smile, "'and then the whole scheme dawned on me.' "'Ah!' said Norman, who had forgotten all his animosity "'in his interest in this amazing tale. "'That was a superb idea. "'Of course, if no one has ever seen the king, "'you can substitute anyone you like.' and pretend the madness has been cured, without any revolution, bloodshed, or fuss. Precisely, sir, but not quite anyone we like. Anyone outside Alsander. Anyone the people do not know. Anyone who is worth substituting. We had to find a ruler, and we set seriously about the task of discovering one. The doctor had sent friends of his as emissaries to every land, like the Oriental kings who desired husbands for their daughters and heirs for their crowns to find a man fit to rule the kingdom. But our emissaries had a more difficult task than those of the Oriental potentates. They had first of all to find a man suitable, and though all that is needed, after all, is a certain amount of honesty, energy, and intelligence, for it's not so hard to manage a little state like ours, yet we soon discovered that most honest, intelligent, and energetic men were, unfortunately for our purpose, already installed in worldly positions, so enviable that they were not likely to leave them for a chance of ruling a miserable country, and an off-chance of being killed. Besides, the prospective candidates for royalty could not be trusted with the secret. The honest men might come to think it consistent with their honesty to betray the scheme. The proposed bang would have to be tempted to Alsander, and, once there, most cautiously treated. And the emissaries the doctor could send were very few, and poor. There was only one of them who was sanguine of success. He was an old man, an English poet. Ah! interjaculated Norman. He had lived for many years, apparently without means of subsistence, in a broken attic, where he said he was composing a great ode to the sun. Sforelli, it seems, knew the old man well, and often declared to incredulous company that the supposed old imbecile was the most intelligent man in Alsander, and perhaps in England. The old poet, as I said, swore he would succeed. Ah! said Norman. He has failed. He has not failed, said Arnolfo, rising and laying his hands on Norman's shoulder. He found you, selling biscuits in an English village, and he swears that his feet were pulled to the village against his will, at least seven miles on a hot summer afternoon, and all by the power of the gin. And now, though we feign to reject you yesterday, you are the man we are going to make King of Alsander and if we have to torture you into acceptance, King of Alsander, you shall be. Gently pronouncing the strange threat, the boy stood over Norman and looked down into his face and smiled. The world went unreal for Norman at that moment. 
he wondered if he were alive i cannot believe a word of it norman said slowly after a time but no i cannot if you really wanted a man to rule this country let us not say a king it sounds too foolish you would not choose an english grocer examine his flesh as though he were a prize pig thrash him before the eyes of his future subjects and drive him out like a dog it was really necessary to see the physique of the man who is to found a dynasty i fear though the doctor took his duties himself too seriously i fear too the whimsicality of the situation got hold of us we were inclined to make the most of it it is not every day one examines a man for the post of king and as for the rest we had to frighten you into secrecy and if possible into a belief if not of our sincerity at least of our power we had to be able to command your silence and it was obvious you were not ready to believe our good faith then show me your good faith rejoined norman surely i have a right to demand that i only claim the just equivalent that i should deal with you as you dealt with me ah you do not know said arnolfo paling what you ask of me on the day i make you king you may do with me what you will i promise you you will rule me then but i could not accept the dishonour from you now if you think me a coward i am a coward but i can overcome my cowardice that is not my reason the boy went on holding out his hands to norman with a wan smile there take my hands torment me as you will but not till the day you are crowned in the cathedral of alsander shall you have your full revenge norman rose and took the delicate hand and shook hands with a smile i cannot help it he said i do not care if you want to make me your jest again or if you want to kill me but i am yours to command i can even forgive you but as for your plan it is plainly impossible i think i do not care if it is so long as i have your friendship said arnolfo with strange warmth and shook hands with a smile however i admit there are many difficulties and many dangers in our plot but what are those that strike you specially do i look like an alsandrian first of all or must i be made up to look like one heavens we will not stoop to disguise besides i have a touch of the artist sir in my composition and never would i have your features altered your colour changed or a hair of your head displaced in any case the royal family were always fair credenda was a viking remember also you have only to deceive the ignorant mob all the intelligent men of alsander are in the plot but i've been here for weeks objected norman everyone knows me as the mad englishman you have been playing harun al-rashid and spending the first days of your return to alsander spying out the land it is a very pretty story and will greatly enhance your popularity besides the old poet instructed you to weave a mystery round your movements and i learn from a sure source that you have obeyed him then all this they tell me gasped norman that the king was sent abroad to be cured was got up on purpose for the plot of course and the announcement that his return and his cure are expected not a detail has been forgotten by sforelli there were guards at the palace a closed carriage a special train and the consul gasped norman the consul is an agent of the british government and the british government tired of wanting a strong turkey happens at this moment to want a strong alsander and Vorza. 
Dvorze is a fool, said the young man, but with less conviction than usual. And the king himself. What shall we do with him? pursued Norman. What of him? One of the guards knows of a little tap invented by the Japanese, as simple as the jujitsu trick with which I felled you in the shop the other day. The king really is the last person to be considered. But really, if you want me to have anything to do with it, cried Norman in horror, I cannot touch murder. Not murder, but removal. What use is the poor devil's life to him or to the world? So saying, Arnolfo sat down in the armchair facing his interlocutor and eyed him with interest. I am not an Alessandrian. In England we view these things differently, said Norman pompously, shocked that his gentle companion should be capable of designing such an atrocious outrage. But Arnolfo answered unperturbed. In England, I believe on one occasion you gave a king a mock trial and then beheaded him under circumstances of inconceivable barbarity. Ah, you're an Englishman, and mad like all of them, as mad as Andrea. Come, I love argument. Let's have it out. One life, one rotten, miserable life, to buy the happiness of a country and you won't spend it. You call it principle. When you go to war, what do you care for life? You are not religious in the matter. It's just that fetish you call law. I did not ask you to kill the imbecile yourself. It will be done quietly. I will have nothing to do with any filthy, cold-blooded murder. It isn't fetish. It's simply because I won't. And if we deal with you instead of with him? Try. I do not like your cynicism. I am sorry, but it is unreason on your part or else sheer cowardice. By what code of ethics in the world do you justify yourself? You are just frightened to do something that would make your conscience uncomfortable. On what do you base your morality? On feeling. Would your feelings let you kill a man who was just going to kill someone else? Certainly. Then why not a man whose existence does harm to others? Others might think my existence did harm to them. But a life that is worthless to itself? May not the poor fool's life be happier than yours or mine? said Norman who was always fond of abstract argument and apt to grow eloquent in the realm of ideas. He lives with his ideal. His cobwebbed, cracked plaster room is for him a most elegant palace. He sees the phantom courtiers all day long. They bring him presents of fruits and flowers and spices and gold. He is for himself the great emperor of the world, for all we know. Then you will not justify a political assassination? Now. It's not so easy as you think, nor are my reasons so trumpery unawful. But you're as shallow as you are clever. Murder cuts at the source of all society, which war, which is organised killing, does not. Unorganised killing means death, not to one man here or there, but to society. That is why we English, who think society a good thing, hate murder. Let it loose, unpunished. And if but twenty people are killed, the law unheeding, it's worse for society than if twenty thousand perish in war or plague. I will not touch it. Your reasoning is powerful, Norman, but it's not your reason that influences your action. Your act is, as you said before, in accordance with your feelings. I might combat your reason, but I cannot change your convictions. What can we do? Well, it's not so terribly urgent to get rid of him. What can possibly be done with him? Why, send him to a lunatic asylum, of course. 
what a ghastly piece of perverted common sense oh you englishmen you have never realized that the french revolution has occurred you are still a hundred years behind the continent but i am alsandrian my friend i am southern i have all the southern weakness and some of the southern charm added norman though he had recovered under the stress of the ethical argument from the hypnotic fascination to which he had succumbed he began to be not so sure that he did not like this strange and gracious person but none of the southern faithlessness arnolfo rejoined trust me norman trust me and i will be faithful to you to death i we all of us need you so desperately this about the murder was only nonsense to hear what you had to say though i'm afraid the good sforelli suggested it in earnest there is good work man's work an englishman's work to be done here once the fantastic stuff the mummery is over you may achieve true greatness i shall become a thief said norman do you want to argue that you are right to remember it that repugnance you must sacrifice you are going to seize an all but worthless property and make it fine land for corn and olive yet what i said of murder applies to theft i'm helping to cut at the basis of society but to found a new one come in this objection you will not persist you have not the same emotion you do not really mind or rather you wake in me such emotions such schoolboy emotions that i cannot control them it's a game but it's worth playing i don't care what awaits me discovery disaster death i don't care if you're fooling me i follow you arnolfo what are your orders continue to play the part the poet assigned to you that is all hint of the mystery i will prepare the rest as quickly as i can about the king i will arrange something to please you and now good-bye norman held out his hand but arnolfo under the stress of subdued emotion laid his hands on norman's shoulders and kissed him a southern way he said half laughing half ashamed one more thing remember i had almost forgotten he added as he opened the door for norman that is beware of women End of chapter 10